Hi, it's Chris Perryman, and welcome to the Where's It To podcast, sponsored by Zamp. We're bringing you the lowdown on anything Bristol, whether it's from CEOs to Wurzel shows or Culpit Heath to brushing your teeth, you'll be really sure to enjoy a listen. So without further ado, here we go. We hope you enjoy the ride. Hi, so this is Chris at the Where's It To podcast, provided by Zump. Hope you're well, and uh, we have today with us Cal Naismith of Bristol City. How are you doing, Cal? Are you okay? Yes, I'm good, mate. Thanks very much for coming in. Um, it's a real pleasure to have you in with us, um, and uh, just obviously goes to show the sort of depth of the different guests we've got, you know, on, on the Where's It To podcast. Um, which we'll be pleased to know has actually launched this week, which is good. Um, we've got sort of we've had rugby players, a menopause coach, graffiti artists, yep. and obviously now um, you know rugby uh, women's rugby players at R- R- Bristol Bears as well, and now a, a professional footballer. So um, yeah, really good to, to have you on. Um, so sort of tell us about yourself. Where where have you sort of come from? And obviously, much like our previous guest uh, Lauren, um, can probably sense a Scottish twang in the accent. Um, so. Not from around these parts, as they say down there. <laughs> um, but sort of give us a bit of a background of sort of your career and sort of where you grew up, how you, how you sort of got here today, I suppose. Yeah, so I grew up in a place um, called Postal Park, which is uh, Glasgow, right in the centre of Glasgow, basically. Um, for people that will know the area, they'll know kind of how rough it is. It's a bit uh, underprivileged area. and. That was where my mum was from, uh, full family. Then she met my dad. I went to a place, Lamb Hill, which is probably 10 minutes for her, but that was just seen as kind of getting me out of that environment, uh, Postal Park, and grew up there. Uh, career-wise, probably signed for... I, I played for Rangers Boys Club, which was like a feeder club for Glasgow Rangers, mm-hmm. and um, played there. Uh, went on trial to Rangers when I was maybe 13, 14, they then wanted to take me uh, into there, but we used to go on, we used to go to a trip every year to Holland with Rangers Boys Club, for, even for a very young age, and I was desperate to go away, so my mum was telling me I was refusing to actually sign for Rangers at the time because I wanted to stay with the Boys Club team, and uh, but they agreed to sign me, but still let me be at my Boys Club for another two years, um, which was good, so I think I went to Rangers at 15, and then that was it, left school at 15, 16, went in full time. Yeah, came through at Rangers, moved away when I was 20. I had a few loans, I went to Cowden Beef, Partick Thistle, uh, just to kind of see the step up in the man's game. And then I went to, I, I wanted to get down to England. I, I don't know, I always had it in my head. I supported Rangers as a kid and I was always desperate to play for them. It was obviously my club growing up, but I always had an don't know if you'll know a player, Aaron Hutton, who ended up playing for Tottenham and he was at Rangers at the time and then he signed for Tottenham and he was always someone I kind of looked at and wanted to do what he'd done, like made it at Rangers, then went and signed in the Premier League and done all that. So that was kind of what I envisioned growing up and wanted to do, but it never really worked out that way for me. I then wanted to get to England, so I signed for Accrington Stanley. Who were they? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, that that certainly, uh, yeah, it makes you grow up if you can kind of go there and handle it there and play football there and still kind of bounce back and get up the levels. It's, it tests your character. So that was that was brilliant for me being there. I was there for two years. Um, went to Portsmouth, who were in League Two at the time, and that was a great move for me back to kind of a big club. And then for there. Where have I been? Wigan after that, then then Luton, then newly yeah Bristol City. So I've kind of been everywhere. But 
yeah, I'm proud of kind of how it's gone. The fact that I was at such a big club, I then went pretty much as as low as it gets to with respect to Accrington in terms of facilities and place and club was fighting relegation at the bottom of League Two when I signed. They're obviously stabilised now, very good League One club. But the fact that I'd done it that way and was able to come back is something that I'm proud of. I think it really shows sort of versatility as well because you know. You often get, I mean, I was reading a story today about uh, Erwin Haaland um, and Roy Hodgson um, turning him down for £5 million back in the day because he didn't feel he was a physical enough player. But, you know, obviously some players go straight into a sort of, you know, academy, whether you've got, say, for instance, you know, Man United, for argument's sake, my team of choice, um, you know, obviously being a, a Bristol guy, you know, Man United's probably the, uh, the first team you choose, clearly. Um, <laughs> And um, you know, you've, you've kind of got a breadth of that experience, and I think it's you know that can kind of transpire and say, for instance, business as well, which is you know you can you see people come straight out of uni and become I don't know a, a director of a company. Sometimes they don't yeah. have the sort of breadth of experience in that, and I suppose having gone up the ranks from Accrington to you know Wigan. I think did you say you spent some time at Blackburn? I uh, know. Blackburn, no, uh, uh, Luton, Luton, yeah, yeah. Um, you kind of you can kind of see where it is, uh, sort of how the club works, how, and and I also then appreciate the facility. Say for instance, now you have at yeah. City, for example, yeah. because you know I think we spoke about Steve Lansdowne on here before. He's he's obviously quite passionate about making sure, and you've only got a sort of step up foot in the training ground. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. State of the art, you know. Um, which, which I think, yeah, it's obviously a great thing to do. So, it, you've obviously crossed the border. You know, we're now south of the border, and you know, from Scotland. How, how did you sort of, what's, what sort of made you think oh, I want to get down to England? Was it the standard of football? Because I mean, you know, last night you see Celtic in the Premier League. Tonight you've got Rangers in the Premier League. Not the Premier League, sorry, Champions, the Champions League. League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not always been that way with them being quite so dominant, and you know, there's as an English lad you kind of see a bit of disparity between sort of English and Scottish leagues etc etc what, what sort of drove you down here was it was it kind of because that's the natural aggression or I, I just thought as a young lad I, I was very ambitious and I still am and I just felt like that's where the best players were um, don't get me wrong there's incredible players at Rangers and Celtic and it, it, I obviously wanted to play for Rangers I wanted to become a Rangers player and, and I felt I could have done but attitude, know-how when I was a young lad I never really had any role models to look at and discipline and all stuff that I know now that if I see kids stepping out of line the way I did when I was younger then that's the experience that I can use and I can give them and help them and pull them aside and tell them how valuable a chance they've got at actually making something or selling life and kind of getting them back in the right track but I was never on the right track I was never ready to make it at Rangers I played in the third division when the club went into administration and but off the field stuff nights out all that other stuff my focus just wasn't there and that was that that led to me then then getting released but yeah it, it was it was always kind of what I wanted to do I just wanted to go down to England I felt that's where the best players went even players that the best players that played in Rangers or Celtic they had two or three years there then they went to the Premier League it's kind of yeah. just Premier League was always seen as the biggest league don't get me wrong it'd be an absolute honour to play for Rangers and well I did play but to play at the highest level for Rangers even to play for Rangers at a later point in my career would be an absolute honour but just that was all my mindset as a kid is 
get down to England and kind of do it in England, which I've obviously not done yet. There's one more step I'd like to do, which is Premier League, but yeah, you've just got to kind of aim high and hopefully one day I can do that, hopefully with Bristol City. I mean, yeah, as we sit here today in September, City are fourth in the Championship. Fourth, fourth so, minute, yeah. you know, that's fingers crossed. Hopefully mm. uh, we might see them playing in the Premiership next year, which, um, yeah, would be, uh, I think, a City the size of Bristol definitely deserves the yeah. team. No, it's right. it's got a fan base, facilities, everything, manager, players, everything's there uh, for it to be done. The owner's very ambitious, and everything's there put in place. As I say, it's but it's a tough league. It's it's early, early days so far. We're eight games in, but it's been a good start. But it's just about keeping grounded, doing the right things every day, working hard, keeping the togetherness a team, and we'll kind of gauge it where we are after fifteen, twenty games, and see if we can kind of kick on for there and make it happen. I definitely want tickets to the playoffs as and when uh, that happens. Yeah. Um, going back to what you sort of one of the first sort of things you said, you know, growing up in in Glasgow, um, you said where you grew up. I can't remember exactly the name of the, the town, but or the, or the sort of area of Glasgow um, was quite underprivileged. Yeah. You you tend to see quite a lot of that in sort of football. Um, you know, grassroots obviously is is a big buzzword buzzword for people decide to say about it and not do much but you know in the Premier League say for instance your Rio Ferdinand and all that sort of came from sort of different parts of London where it's quite underprivileged and what why do you think that is you see quite a lot is it is it an outlet for, for sort of areas where um, you know there is sort of social deprivation is that something you think that will always be there or there's a reason behind it for example is it some you know because you see obviously in the news with London and sort of gun crime and knife crime but you you never hear sort of people turn to football and I suppose it's kind of a common theme I've sort of subliminally sort of seen is that something you feel is actually a valid point or is it completely fluke I I think it is an escape route for a lot of young kids for me personally thinking back just looking at it it was probably an escape route for me to do it I think you you see a lot of Footballers, old comfy broken homes, stuff like that, and just in with football, a lot of people underprivileged do it. It's like it's free. It doesn't really cost anything. All you need is a ball, and yeah. you can go outside. And uh, I would remember as a young kid just standing outside, kicking the ball against the wall, four hundred times trying to do <laughs> keep it up, yeah, yeah. And, and smash it against the wall. And I would just never be in, and it, it, it was free. You didn't you didn't need much to go outside and and play football and yeah it was just probably an escape but everyone I know that's played at a really high level or done done it at a, like a high level kicked on has came from underprivileged places there's, there's obviously kids that have came from loving families and that and, and done really well as well and had the, the drive but I just feel I felt it gave me a bit extra a bit extra drive to kind of yeah. say that I was going to try and make something myself or, or make it at a certain level and maybe you'd have been doubted or you'd have seen oh no one else has kind of done it for that area but yeah and I, I don't think it's isolated to England and Scotland and Great Britain you know you see Ronaldo um, growing up in yeah. Porto or, no it's now Madeira was, was it yeah Madeira and like the, some of the Brazilian team in the favelas in Sao Paulo yeah. or Rio it's, I think yeah you're right it is, a, it is an absolute release to, to sort of when you've got very little it's something you can do quite cheaply freely and it's you know it's a, it's a good outlet what do you think the sort of FA Scottish FA could kind of do to sort of make that more available to sort of then progress for example so 
I suppose when you sort of see statistics of oh I want to go and be a Premier League football footballer for example yeah. you know the the chance of you as a you know my lad's seven years old everyone goes wants to be a professional footballer yeah, yeah. you're of a kind of quite a select few because it's like you know when you go and watch X Factor and you've got these 50,000 people not, not that I watch that and I will completely <laughs> uh, put a uh, disclaimer there that I do not watch X Factor even though it's not on anymore um, but you see these people that go in audition and it's then down to the final 50,000 and then yeah. this and that. I suppose it's similar with football in as much that not everyone makes it so I suppose what I'm sort of saying is what, what things do you think could be implemented to develop grassroots football more than, than what it currently is it's so hard it's such a good question I think that it's stuff that I think about because obviously I've got I've got two young kids now four and two two boys and one of them absolutely loves football he doesn't stop kicking the ball the other one's a bit different he prefers more watch the TV and iPads and that's just another problem you've got now with technology and computers and mobile phones with me it was if you wanted to to speak to your mate you'd need to go chappy's door so it would be I'd go out with the ball and I'd go to one of my mate's doors 10 minutes dribbling his door if he wasn't coming out I'd go to the next one dribble to his 10 minutes and by the time you tried to go in for six or seven of your mates even if they weren't coming out you were out the house for two hours you were kicking the ball about the streets you were doing what you were doing and then but now it's it's probably a whatsapp and are you coming out no nope, staying in I'm going on the computer right we'll speak to each other on the headset and the computer and yeah. I think that's probably affecting it because for me if people ask me oh how, how can my kid be a footballer or how could I become a footballer you've literally got to be ex like obsessed there's nothing else that matters I remember even being a kid there was nothing else that mattered to me apart from playing football like I just wanted to play I would kick everything about the house glasses on the floor I'd try and dribble with anything that was there it was just in, it was just in my head I knew I was going to be a footballer and Stuff like, I was a nightmare for my mum, but like, I refused to go to school sometimes because I just, I knew I was going to be a footballer and I've never said that, definitely go get your schooling because we've seen how competitive it is and there's a chance you might not make it, but just that crazy obsession that nothing else matters. Whereas I see a lot of kids now, like my wee brother went through it, yeah, I want to be a footballer, but, and then I'd say, I'm right, well, did you go to training? Oh, well, I never went the night because my legs were a bit sore or yeah. well you've got no chance because yeah. there's another million kids that don't miss training and absolutely I, I think do you know what? you've sort of set the, the cat among the pigeons in my thought processes in my head because do you know I think one of the when I said about grassroots football uh, football and you see in the especially after the Lioness's success etc because I think also that's another subject we'll talk about is the sort of disparity between men's and women's football but no one really looks and thinks say for instance back when we were kids you know I, I'm probably how old are you, 30? I'm six years older than you. Yeah. You know, it was that. You know, you'd watch Match of the Day on a Saturday. You'd maybe, they would maybe rent a game from Blockbusters, but it was, there was just not as many yeah. options. Now kids have got so many options, they're bored of, of everything. Um, so I suppose the, 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 not the gene pool's probably wrong, you know, the, the, the pool of talent to then funnel into professional footballers, I suppose mm. it's going to be a lot smaller than what it was back when we were kids. I would think so. It'd be interesting to see and try and see numbers on our stats, but you would think so, wouldn't you? Because there's got to be less time spent outside for kids now. It's just and I suppose even more during COVID. I think, you know, Christ, when I was at school, it was, what do you want to be? Astronaut or professional footballer? Yeah. And maybe the occasional policeman. Yeah. Um, and now you go to a school, they want to be Instagram 
models or That'd influencers be cool, yeah. and yeah and I think it's a real real eye-opener really because I think yeah I never looked at it in the kind of micro perspective of what because the FA could go yeah we build these academies I mean it was funny because I, I was looking at a thing the other day um, can you remember the Man United soccer school so you'd go up and it was like a summer holiday camp and right. it was one of my friends in school did it and his parents were wealthy but even things like that they don't do anymore no um, but it's a case of yeah it's, it's a real struggle and I suppose it's it's what do they do because obviously the FA are, are all about now you know grassroots football but I imagine it's quite a challenge it is and it, for me it's just it's hard because kids do need help and they do need stuff like that but I guess it's hard it's easy to say now that I'm older but if you want to make it you make it That that that's how I, I see it in my head whether you've got help for grassroots or you've and maybe that's a bit ruthless because they're only kids and they do need help but if you want to make it and you're willing to put absolutely everything in and just obsessed and love football and as I say, you just need a ball in your back garden and hit it off your wall until your mum comes out and complains and when she goes back in, just keep doing it until she comes out and complains again. <laughs> That's what I've done. And yeah, you just practice, practice, practice and you can kind of do it. But I do agree with you, like the stuff at the grassroots, like you see the, when I go back home to see my mum and I'll see like cages where I used to play football in and they're all locked up now and it's like, they're not even open to the kids. Kids are having to climb over to get in them and but yeah, you, you just don't see as as much kids in the street. We used to have just our jumpers down for goalposts and playing. And yeah. But yeah, I think as a kid, if you are out there and you really want to play football, just believe it and be obsessed with it. And yeah. You can definitely do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got a, a friend of us who's going to be a, another guest on the podcast, runs a soccer school in, in, um, in Bristol. So I'd um, be interested to see his perspective on that because I suppose yeah. he's, he's right at the cold face. So obviously now at Bristol City, um, so we're what eight, like you said, eight games into the season, um, yeah. and hopefully we're going to have a, a really good season this year. Is it? You know, at least one of the Bristol teams will. Um, you came from Luton, so still within the Championship. So you know, you've obviously worked your way up to the Championship, which is amazing. Come to Bristol. What? What's the dressing room like at, at Ashton Gate? You know, who, who, who's the sort of jokers? Who's the the Jack the lads? Have you got any funny stories about? It's early doors, so probably not as much stories, but the Joker probably, there's, there's a few lads, there's always something going on, but Joe Williams is one Scouse lad, um, the fans will know, well, they've probably seen him joke about it a few times, he's um, he's always up to something, whether it's hiding someone's clothes or doing something daft, but he's, uh, I was with Joe at Wigan as well, so I know him well, and he's helped me settle in loads, kind of meeting everyone, but you mentioned the changing room, that was that was one of the things I was so surprised with, obviously with the club finishing low on the, low on the table the past kind of two years, I came in and I never really expected anything, but half in my mind I've, I thought, right, maybe there's a few poison lads, few negative people, kind of, usually stuff like that in changing rooms when it's not going well, but as soon as I came in I thought, my God, it's, it's like all the lads are brilliant, get on so well, love working hard was apparent for kind of the first week in pre-season, everyone was at it, there was no one complaining or dropping out the running or everyone wanted to work hard and do well and I kind of looked at it and I thought, I was confused almost as to why the club kind of hadn't finished higher the past couple of years but obviously I know how hard the championship is but 
one, just really excited to kind of get going because of what we had. We had all the foundations there, a great change room, great bunch of lads, love working hard. Kind of, that's that's kind of all you need. That, obviously, with the ability and the talent, which is obviously there, then I knew we would be, I was quietly confident that we would start the season well, and that's what we've done. Yeah, absolutely. I think, because, yeah, last season it wasn't the best. I think maybe... Sir Alex Ferguson popped in with his hairdryer um, in the off season and, uh, mm. and gave everyone a, a kick up the arse. Um, do you know what? You just remind me. You said Joe Williams is the jack of the lad. I actually um, saw. I followed Scott Murray on Instagram, and um, there's a video the other day with Joe Williams. Actually, yeah. um, Scott's in the the back of the laundry van or whatever it is, and give him a freight. Yeah, yeah to get the life out of him. <laughs> so, um, which is very strange. It must be something in the name. I've got a, a good friend called Joe Williams as well, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's a bit of a, a nutter as well. So um, there we go. So one of the things I've seen um, and sort of listened to on the radio is or seen in sort of social media is is, is football initiations. So yeah, okay. karaoke is that something that is in the culture at Bristol City? Do you have initiations? It's there. Yeah, it's still there. And to be honest, I, I don't know why that's that's still gone. I, I I guess the positives are maybe it gets you feeling vulnerable in a situation in front of your teammates and. I don't know if there's some positives in that, but I've never liked it. I've I've never been bothered about doing it. It's it's more watching it. I hate watching it. Footballers will know if if they listen to this and they're speaking, but yeah, it's just cringe. You don't know where to look, and but I, I guess it's it's part of the game. It's been in it for years. Everywhere I've went, I've done it. Um, what have I sang? Usually, Paolo Nettini, last request. Um, Maroon Five. Uh, I've sang a about everything but it was a uh, it was one of the it was the sports scientist paddy it was his birthday when we were in austria and we had a bit of a meal for his birthday at night and uh, that's when they asked us to do the initiation so i kind of used my experience on it and stood up and sang happy birthday and everyone kind of joined in and we sang happy birthday to pad so that's what i done at bristol city it was i don't know if it should have been allowed but yeah it was I mean, to be fair, that's worked smart and hard. Yeah, it? Is, uh, it was clever, yeah. I think everyone was kind of a bit like, how's he got away with that? But yeah, I just used my head. Good stuff. So so what sort of track, I mean, again, I being a you know strapping 16 stone, 36 year old lad that's not very good at football, I don't really kind of know behind the scenes as to agents, contracts, you know, say for instance, I've mentioned Haaland again, because the guy's an absolute machine and plays for the wrong side of Manchester but mm. you know he went there because his dad played there and yeah. you know what attracted you to Bristol what what was it the, the start of football they play what made you think do you know what yeah Bristol City did they approach you did, how did it work yeah so I was um, running out my contract at Luton but we were obviously in a great position in the league we were going for playoffs uh, but I think for other clubs who are recruiting players it becomes apparent they do their due diligence and they see players that will maybe be good players that they like that are coming to the end of their contracts and then they'll get in contact. So I was one that clubs knew was going to be a free agent at the end of the season. So clubs were getting in contact. I was in a fortunate position. I've also been in the other end when there's no clubs picking up the phone and you're desperate for your agent to try and get your club. But this was one time for me when a lot of clubs were getting in contact. But I was, I was playing such good football and I was at Luton who gave me a chance when... I was pretty much struggling to get a championship club when Wigan went into administration. I was looking so, I owed a lot to Luton and uh, the manager was absolutely brilliant with me and I just felt like I owed them my full 
for the players as well my full concentration and try to get the club to the Premier League because we were going for playoffs to then get to the Premier League so Bristol had spoke to my agent and uh, my agent had spoke to me and I just said to him the same thing I did with every club that my full focus is on Luton trying to get to the Premier League if we get to the Premier League with Luton it's my dream to play in the Premier League so I'll, I'll stay mm-hmm. if not I'll weigh up my options obviously including Luton at the end of the season when the season's over and uh, then I'll decide what I'm doing so that was my mindset there was clubs there but I just really wanted to focus on that we um, we obviously got to the playoffs got beat in the semi-final so after the second leg I thought right I've got a decision to make I went away with my family had about I said I'd give myself about two weeks ten days so I says to my agent like get all the offers together that are there including Luton's and we'll sit down and, and kind of see what one makes the most sense uh, it turned out to be Bristol there was there was so many factors one the manager speaking to the manager and seeing how ambitious he was and the fact that he's been there he's done it all he's he's know how um, that was massive the club the facilities the fan base it just all kind of played in but for me I'm, I'm obviously not young anymore so this was like I had to be sure whatever club I was going to had a chance at potentially getting to the Premier League that was just because that's that's my dream that's what every footballer wants to do that's what I'd love to achieve before I retire and I just felt everything there was at Bristol the facilities the players last year one of the biggest factors in my decision was me being a defender I obviously think I can add a lot to the defence Bristol City was one of the highest scoring teams in the championship last year which tells me they've got unbelievable attackers mm-hmm. they just weren't defending well for one reason or another which is not just the defenders by the way it can be the attackers not helping out it can be the midfielders not getting into a defensive shape to help the defenders but I just thought if I can go in there and help that by being on the pitch or by communicating to help the midfielders attackers to help the defenders and then we've got the attackers at the club that we've got that can score so many goals I believe that I could help the club get up the league and so that was another massive factor in it and yeah I've kind of the goal scorers have still been unbelievable Andy Vyman scoring goals Tommy Conway we've got Chrissy Martin Naki Wells the, uh, Antoine Semenyo the attacking players are incredible at the club and we're still conceding a few goals a few more than we'd like but the boys are managing to yeah to keep scoring and that's why we're, we're so high up the league yeah absolutely I think the you know, this, I've got to be honest I, was, I went to Ashton Gate this season with a season ticket holder and the vibe in the stadium was I think it was the loop match actually I think it was yeah. the first one and, and it was, yeah it was it was just different you know I think a lot of the fans were pleasantly surprised by the style of play like you said and you know they were winning games and I think yeah long may it continue I think it'd be um, it'd be awesome so obviously you said there was other clubs that sort of we're on the, the radar. Are you able, can you say about what clubs put offers in? I don't know how it works. Obviously, we've just passed transfer deadline day, so I don't know if it's embargoed or not. But um, yeah, but could probably mention some clubs. The, the great clubs, to be fair, that was there. Clubs like I don't know, Stoke, Swansea's, obviously Luton. Um, there was a lot of clubs that we had conversation and chats with, but yeah, the, the, when it got to, the, there was probably six or seven clubs offers in the end. Uh, as I say, I was I was fortunate to get in that position. I had worked hard, Luton were incredible for me, giving me the platform, and it was a hard decision to leave Luton, it was, because I loved it there, I loved the manager, the players, I, 
amazing relationship with the fans but it was just something I sat down with my family and weighed up everything and we just thought Bristol City was was the best option yeah I, I think it's really refreshing to hear because you know often you read again as the layman non-footballer in the press it's all about the week you know Messi goes to this for that weekly FA yeah. or the signing fee of 100 million for a player and I can't say I've ever heard a player go I signed this club because I saw the potential I saw the potential to then form in part of a, of a player as part of this club to then one day get that club to the Premier League yeah. and not one point through all of that was their money contracts yeah. um, signing on fees and things like that and I think in today's day and age that's, that's so refreshing to hear because yeah. I think you're right I think and actually I suppose we'd be sat a different having a different conversation if you got off the first eight games and um, City uh, you know third from bottom mm. but um, I mean I was feeling much like that as a Man United fan for the first three yeah. games of the, uh, the flying season. them don't get me wrong look money is a massive part of it. I'm not going to sit here and say that I didn't think about the money when it was coming to my contract at the end of the day I'm, I'm 30 years old and I've got two kids and I've worked hard all my life but that, that has never been that is one thing I can, can say and, and I'm actually proud of I've never played football for money I've never done it I've, I grew up with nothing I've had nothing before I've had a bit of money where I can have a nice holiday or a nice car if I wanted I don't really care about the things to be honest it's nice to have but I've never if I finish football in five years time and I've got nothing I, honestly my mindset is I'll go into some other job and I'll try and be the best at it and I'll try and work my way up and I'll, I'll have a nice enough life to provide for my kids have nice holidays and yeah. but when the offers were put on the table money definitely oh, does course, yeah. Yeah. money definitely does come into it and you see that argument all the time where, where people are money grabber and stuff like that and it's like anyone in any any role if you worked in Tesco and as they called you up and you, yeah. you're going to go and I've just never understood that one with football fans and I know they're passionate and I know they love their club and listen we know fans we don't have a game and we don't get paid I absolutely love football fans love them having their opinion love everything that comes with football but that is one that I've never really understood when they say money grabber maybe if it, if it gets to the stage of you're dealing with a Man United player who's on 150 grand a week but he goes to somewhere for 170 that's maybe not as good a club as Man United there's other stuff that come into it though if he yeah. feels loved if he feels but then you kind of understand there but for someone like me who's had to go down to League 2 had to build my way back up then dealt with at Wigan getting into administration coming down then not really having a pick of clubs going to Luton them giving me an amazing platform but ultimately not the contract I wanted to have and to build up get to where I want to be then when you do have six or seven clubs there, money does come in yeah, when you choose. Yeah, and I, I think from one of the things, and I suppose I use it in my job. You know, if you do something for money, you're doing it for wrong for your reason. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think be as good at it. your business. Money yeah. is a byproduct of football. You know, you, you don't play football for money. No. Otherwise, if, you know, if if there was in saying all that, if there was an offer from a club that. And, and, and there was probably other offers that were maybe more financially or whatever but if there was any offer different that I thought that club had the bigger chance of getting to the Premier League I would have signed for that club that that was when I sat down and I put every f bit of thought in it it was what club can I get to the Premier League with and that was my decision on coming to Bristol City 
Absolutely. I think for any Bristol City fans listening to that, I think it's a real good, uh, hopefully good barometer of someone who's, you know, ear to the ground, on ground zero, playing football deck week in, week out. Um, that, you know, hopefully there, there, there's there's good opportunity there for Bristol to get in the, um, yep. the Premiership. And um, But I think it's often... It's like, you know, say, for instance, back in the credit, I spoke to you offline, you know, about working for a large banking firm during the recession and things like that. And and you kind of, oh, you work for a bank? Oh, because the press, it's all yeah, about, yeah. you know, dirty bankers. They, whereas, you know, if you're a cashier in the local Lloyds on that west, they deem you the same. And I suppose you're a victim of the sort of elite sort of footballers that are on 200, 300 grand a week and, you know, they're moving for stupid amounts of money, they then kind of ruin it for the rest. And if one, say, for instance, throws his toys out the pram, then, you know, yeah. everyone tarnishes footballers with the same brush and, and they don't kind of look at that, which kind of really nicely leads me on to the next next uh, point of it. So I, I speak quite a lot with, with uh, sort of professional rugby players, um, rugby managers and things like that on the podcast before. Um, but you touched on a few different things there of like, um, uh, receivership with with Wigan, and you've gone sort of to late league two and things like that. mental health. If you take say for instance, I don't know Bobby Moore for example, you know old school footballer mm-hmm. who's never even on the cards. West Ham, he go in play week in week out. Probably go to the pub on a Friday, and mm-hmm. it was just like if you had a bit of a wobble, you were a, you know a weaker man or yeah, uh, whatever. Yeah. How do you sort of deal with the ups and downs? Because obviously you've probably seen a countless amount of them you know whether it's a, a win on a Wednesday and a lose on a Sunday yeah. or Saturday um, relegation how, how, how do you combat that does, do you feel it affects you how, how does it how do you see the environment all around you uh, change due to that yeah it's, it's tough it is tough it's because football is my whole life it's everything it's crazy the kind of emotions you can go through in a week for a Saturday to a Wednesday it's it's mental. You, you play on a Saturday and if you lose, you're just, you're devastated on the bus on the way back on a Saturday night and it leads into the Sunday and then you've got to kind of get yourself back up and say, right, we're training again Monday to go again Wednesday. That is a good thing. You've always got another game to go, but it does. It affects your week. I feel myself being quieter with my missus, kids, and that is a problem I've probably got that I, I don't know, it's, I, I should try and work at to be better with, but... I'm just so passionate about trying to do it well and, and that is something that comes with it. I, I wouldn't say I've I've been through tough times, family times, all that stuff and so maybe that helps me like with bad games, whatever. I, I know every, every tough moment in my life I've I've always came through, so I know I'll always always come through any tough moment I get. So that's just kinda when I'm in a tough moment, uh keep my routine good, I go to bed a little bit earlier, get, for example, the, and I know we're speaking about mental health and that's a massive topic and this is just football and that's like a tiny thing in comparison, but in terms of having hard times in football, my first two games, we get beat, um, the first two, and it's a bit of a bad start, I concede uh, the first game's how I concede, give away a penalty, uh, concede two goals, get beat, partly my fault, Sunderland game, I come out, first five minutes, try and play a pass, gets intercepted, they go score, we get beat against Sunderland, it was like a terrible start, 
a terrible start for me, but I just said to myself, right, it's fine. I know I'll, I know I'll improve. I know I'll play well. What can I control? Right, go to bed a little bit earlier. Try and get a bit longer sleep. Stay at the training ground a bit longer. Work a bit harder. Stretch for a bit longer. Do a bit extra in the gym. Just constantly the little things that will get me to where I know I'll need to be. So I'm, I'm never great with mental health stuff like that because I'm. I'm one of the guys to be fair that bottle it up and, and don't speak and which is that is you shouldn't do it like I see people now and bigger players than me and celebrities coming out and speaking it's great but that is just kind of my makeup and how I've always dealt with it I've just kept it in it myself worked hard had a good routine with training eat clean drink loads of water that's kind of helped me through but then I think you, you sort of say yeah you bottle up and do you bottle up or, or, or is your coping mechanism, your release. Because I suppose a lot of people, um, you know, uh, conceding a goal against Sunderland, yeah. was it away? Uh, Sunderland, uh, Sunderland game was at home, yeah. My first ho that. home debut, yeah, five minutes in, passed it straight to the boy, bang, goal, 1-0 down. Well, I suppose it was just as well, because that's a bloody long drive down from Sunderland. Yeah, that would have been um, sad in the bus. But I back. suppose those things that you said, the extra time on the... The training ground, the eating lean, and, and just staying. I suppose you say you bottle up. Actually, you've probably built your own self-aware um, mechanisms to sort of deal with that. Yeah. Um, but then I suppose a lot of people don't see that. You know, they don't see the training ground. They don't see how much players beat themselves up. Yeah. I mean, Christ, I don't know if you're old enough to probably remember, but you know, Southgate missing the penalty of the year in '96 would have been yeah, four. Oh my god. Um, Beckham and Simeone in the World Cup in '98, and people were hanging effigies on yeah. lampposts, and but they don't see what the inner, inner sort of workings of a head sort of, of a footballer does because you beat yourself up as well, um, and then you've then got the 2020, uh, 2022, you know, 21st century, whatever. Sorry, um, social media, mm. and you've got little Jeff on Twitter, with, yeah. you know, giving you grief and. You get attacked from all angles, and I suppose, yeah, as much as some people will be like, oh, professional footballers, let me get my tiny violin out. Yeah. We're all humans, and I think, you know, it is difficult to kind of ascertain or empathise because you're not in that position. I, you know, I'll never be a professional footballer, never have been, never yeah. will be. Much the same, I suppose, you know, in my business, you probably don't have a clue about, oh, if, say, for yeah. instance, a client's lost their house or whatever. So, but how, how sort of, like prevalent is that in, in social media? Do you see sort of much sort of vile trolling or? Um... Yeah, I, I see I see a lot. Yeah, I've I've played for bigger clubs. So I played for Rangers, um, obviously an incredibly huge club. When I started playing for the first team, the club uh, went into administration, went right down to the third division. So we were playing against teams that were like part-time clubs that should never be playing against Rangers. But one, we were a lot of young boys then get promoted through because all the first team lads left. Um, so we're trying to play for Rangers when we're probably not ready in front of 50,000 fans every week. Um, and then we're playing against part-time players. So the fans are expecting us to beat them 7-8-0. And yeah. what, what you've got to remember is if you're from Glasgow, you're either a Rangers fan or you're a Celtic fan. So if you play against Rangers, you've either got fans playing against you that are desperate to show how good they are in, yeah. in front of their club, or you've got fans, players that hate you, that want to do everything to beat you. So yeah. 
people think they're part-time players, but they've been preparing the past two weeks for that game like it's the game of their life, World Cup final. So there was some difficult challenges and we should have done better, but I remember I kept asking Alan McCoy, which was my, my manager, and he was brilliant with me. Like I absolutely loved him. He was one of my heroes growing up, and then he was my manager. And I kept going to him, and I, I was a young lad, and I thought I was better than I was, and this sort of stuff. If I could go and speak to myself now, I'd do it all so different, but... I used to go and speak to him, right, when am I getting my chance? When am I getting my chance? When am I getting my chance? And to the point when he, he, he gave me my chance and he says, right, you're playing the next five games, don't worry about it, relax. And honestly, like, you've never seen five worst games in your life for a player. I, I was just terrible. I, I was nervous. I was like rabbit headlights. Nothing was coming off. My touches were wrong. We, we drew with like Anne and athletic clubs that, no disrespect to them, but you've probably not heard of. And we drew them at Ibrox in front of 50,000 fans and I was just getting absolutely hammered on uh, Twitter saying you're the worst player that's ever played for the club, you're shocking, just thousands of tweets and you're sitting in the bus after the game knowing that you've just put in the worst performance ever, that you've been terrible and you've maybe worked your whole life to this stage and you've blown it and you're going to get released and you're thinking all these thoughts and then you've got all these messages and you're just looking at your phone, but I actually deleted my Twitter back then um, before I signed for Accrington. I, I deleted it because of that, the stick for Rangers fans, which is, it's, it's part of the game, but I just think, I, I just don't agree with that. Maybe taking to Twitter and, and, and voicing your opinion, it's a great tool for an opinion, like, oh, Cal Naismith was, was poor today, or... I don't think Cal Naismith should have played that pass into midfield that got cut out for a goal or I'm not having Cal Naismith as a player or, or that's fair enough but then the mentions when you get a mention oh you're the worst player I've ever seen blah, blah. like these are the same guys that go to work and have a hundred bad days at work they go to work and they say oh I feel a bit down today and I don't feel at it and they do, oh, they've done something they're painting and painting like, everyone makes yeah. mistakes and, and it's the same with footballers it's, it, just, it's just part of it Absolutely, and I think you know they're probably overweight, middle-aged, you know, men with a pie in their hand in the stand yeah. that probably couldn't run a, a lap of a. But they action. they could have they could have done it as well. Apparently, they could have been the best player ever if they just never got too interested in girls or yeah. they'd done that. That's all the stuff you could hear. Yeah, I was the best player in my school, and it, it <laughs> takes so much mentally and so much. You need to avoid all distraction to be a player at any level and you need a lot of bits of luck in that along the way but there's so much there's so much that teenagers go through and I'll, I'll do it with my kids but it's so I understand when they say oh I get caught up with girls or I get caught up with a wrong group that wanted to go out every night and that because that that's all things that I came across as well but one my mum either pulled me away from it or two I was I was just so one track minded that no no yeah, I won't let that you know, I've got friends uh, sort of growing up that then become sort of professional rugby players or whatever. And, you know, the ones that were, we go out on a Friday night and, yeah, we might go and get some chips or a kebab. And he'd still go there, but he'd have pure chicken, just yeah. salad, you know. And he'd train, train, train. He'd go home at nine and, you know, it's determination. Do the club kind of give you any support as far as, like, you know, social media and sort of dealing with the mental health side of things? Because obviously you've just sort of, you know, named some really... Um, good instances of, of people just being completely fucking violent and completely honest and you know there's there's no there's no place for it 
personally, I don't think I'd be able to do it. I'd, I'd just snap back and it would just take over. Yeah. Um, and you know, you've got obviously the uh, the guy that runs the club the other side of Bristol, Joey Barton, who has been told off time and time again <laughs> for you know comments on Twitter or in interviews. And, mm-hmm. and I, I suppose, do you know what? Probably some of that is is him just you know not having that switch of being able to turn it off and just yeah. make it not affect him. But do the club sort of, or you know, is that, is that something they help with? Or there is. We had a we had a meeting the other day. There's a Bristol City are absolutely incredible for it. There's a full department there for what's the department called it, it, it slips my mind now we had a meeting last week on it but it's a full department for it you've got an app you can put in any of your problems in the app request to talk to someone you can go and sit down for them for one-on-ones like this it's completely confidential they don't go to the manager or anyone it's just for the player welfare and how they are so they're, they're, they're absolutely brilliant with it but as I say players are mostly fixed skin now they know it comes with the territory it's, it's just it's hard for young kids and who, who have it takes, takes toll on people's players families like for me leaving Luton there was incredibly tough decision but it was a decision I made then getting millions of backlash for the for the the fans on uh, Instagram and they were messaging my my missus at the time and we've just had an like incredibly tough year I've played loads of games football the ups and downs where I I know no one will care because you're a football and whatever but (laughs) it's the same it's a difficult year in life you deal with family stuff people passing whatever and then that's your one time at the end of the season when you get to go on holiday and my missus just kept sitting looking at her phone saying this about you and I said don't tell me like that's why I deleted Twitter all the years ago just put your phone down enjoy your holiday and she's she's taking a video of me on holiday and if I smile in the video she's saying oh I can't put that online because they'll think you're happy and, and you're sm- I said don't worry I'm on it's holiday it's fine so then it was it was kind of wasting her holiday ruining her moments just seeing all the messages and all the backlash of leaving Luton but it's just look it's part of it like that's she'll grow a thick skin as well and yeah. that, that's just the way it has to be it's just a shame and it? it's like you know I, I fear for our kids and think Christ well, you know if that's like it now what's it going to be like in years to come mm. but I don't know, it's just it's one of those that we shouldn't even be sitting there having a conversation about. Um, but um, but yeah, um, we move on. Um, but it's really good that, and it's, it's so great to hear because I think, you know, from a visual perspective, you see Ashton Gate, you see the training facilities, you see, and I, I, yeah, I, I just think they're doing the right, right thing, especially the Bristol Bears and you guys. And yeah, I, I can't say I've heard a bad word from. Yep any of it with sort of Bristol sport and, and actually they do put a lot into community as well don't they yeah they're massive on the community yeah um, so what's your plans after all this you know after this sort of curtain kind of falls down and you know you've, you've taken Bristol City to the the Premier League mm-hmm. um, you finished fourth just behind Man United um, <laughs> Champions and you go League. look I'm going to hang up these boots yeah you've qualified for the Champions League you play a season um, get knocked out to Man United. Uh, we do the return leg and get you know beat you at Ashton Gate this time. Um, what what's your life look like then? What, what do you plan on doing? Where do you sort of see yourself? Um, are you going to move back home? What 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 do you? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's scary to think of. To be honest, it's yeah, it's as footballers or well with me in particular, I just my full focus is literally on football. It has been for the past. 13, 14 years and I honestly never really think about after now that I'm getting a little bit older 
the one thing that does interest me is the coaching the coaching aspect I think the best thing you can do other than than money or, or any kind of gain in life is if you help someone that kind of needed help or you help someone to get to a better place in life I believe that's the most rewarding thing other than any money if if you help someone achieve something or you if someone wants they've always wanted even something like a pair of trainers they've always wanted that pair yeah. of trainers and they can never get them and you can give it to them and see how that that joy in their face it's like Christmas isn't it you know it's just giving much yeah. more enjoyment of seeing someone's face when I give them a present that, that, that's the greatest thing it's the gift they're given and people say I'll kind of try and give a lot to whatever and, and people say oh that's selfless but for me it's like selfish I'm getting yeah. more gain out of the name I'm I, that's like the best thing you can do so the the coaching aspect of it I, I just always see myself trying to being in a first team environment and helping young lads and trying to bring them through and guiding them through all the pitfalls that I went through and keeping them on the right track and then if they get to 22, 23 and they get to the Premier League and just imagining that phone call to say thank you so much for that or that you've helped him I think there's so much gain in that I had always beforehand whenever I'd sat down and actually thought about it was opening a gym having my own gym it's one thing I always like to do after football stay active, stay fit it's like yeah. again it's like a release for any problems mental health or yeah. that I'm massive for that I'd, I'd need to stay fit and healthy and then you're helping people achieve maybe goals, health goals that they wanted and you can see the reward in that. So it would need to be something working with people in the fact that I've gave so much to football, it's been my full life and I feel I know a lot about it, then probably go down the coaching road. But again, there's, I want to achieve so much stuff, kind of get to the Premier League, maybe try to achieve a, well, hopefully try to achieve a Scotland call-up. So my full focus goes into that. And then I, I do see myself playing till... I'm a lot older as well. I, I don't really put an age on it, but until my body kind of gives up, but I've always looked after myself well and I want to continue playing no matter what level it is. I want to continue playing till I'm older. So I guess I'll think about it more, touch wood, barring any injuries or that in the next kind of four or five years. No, it's good to hear. I think obviously it's, it's always worth having sort of half an eye on the door, but I suppose in your profession, you can't, you can't really do that. I'm scared. I'm scared if you do that. I'm scared if you have half an eye on it. I'm, I'm kind of all in with anything I do. I, I need to be all in. If, if my attention starts swaying anywhere else, I, in my mind subconsciously, I'll be thinking, well, I'm already giving up. I'm giving up my dreams of getting to the Premier League if I'm thinking about other stuff or I'm, I'm, I'm not all in. Or Yeah, I, I just I feel I need to be all in. And something. I'll always have time. I'm in no rush. Whatever I go into, I'll then be all in on that and I'll, I'll be patient and I'll build up and I'll try and be the very best at whatever I do. Absolutely, I think that's um, a really good uh, approach to it. And obviously with having two young kids as well, it's probably, yeah. <laughs> they're probably a handful as well. So um, Yeah, it's non-stop. Probably get as many, uh, as many yards run chasing them around the house as you do. Yeah, it's trampolining at the minute. We've, we've got a trampoline um, at the back and they just constantly want to go on a trampoline. I get back from training, my calves are screaming, I'm jumping on trampoline so much, I'm thinking, I'm oh. literally worried about getting injured on this. Uh, yeah, going, going in on Wednesday, speaking to Nigel and saying, sorry mate, yeah, I've pulled, I'm pulled, for weeks. pulled my calf, jumped in the back with the kids. But I mastered a triple pike backflip yeah. with the kids on the trampoline last night. So, um, no, it's, um, I think that's a really, really good insight. And I think 
the attitude towards it, yeah, I mean, it's it's testament to sort of where you are in your career and how how well you've done, which is which is you know clearly clearly excellent. So. Obviously, having only been in Bristol since the summer, where have you been out and about? Have you tried any local cuisine, any bars, restaurants? Uh, in Bristol, I really liked I really liked a sushi place we went to in Clifton. Do you know the one? What's the name oh, of it? Kibu. Kibu, Kibu yeah. There for a birthday. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, nice, me and the missus, we had a date night there. Uh, my mum came down, watched the kids probably two or three weeks ago we went in there it was lovely uh, where else have we been there was a pub we went to for a Sunday roast after after the Cardiff game the Cardiff was game was on a Sunday morning yeah. and we had some friends come to the game we got three points went for a Sunday roast after it, it was lovely so that was a good Sunday um, yeah apart from that not been out not been out much at all when I was I was living in a hotel for the first three weeks while we were getting the place sorted and the hotel was the Bristol, so it was in the city centre. So I would go for little walks and get a coffee after training and have a look about. But I just love the city, how it's so vibrant. There's so many people. Everyone seems chilled. No one's like overdressed and they're just all relaxed. And yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's a great place to be. And, and with regards to pubs, my agent, um, he played for Bristol City, Lee Matthews, when he was younger. So he was he was actually massive on me signing for the club. He was. As soon as he says like Bristol City and mentioned that he was just massive on how big a club it is, how good the fans are, how much everything's put in place, and the chairman and and he he couldn't stop harping on about it. And I was like, right, so and uh, but he was telling me about the pubs. He said fans are brilliant. He says they don't give you too much bother. He's like we used to go down the pub on a Sunday, sit, they come over, they chat, they're all friendly. He said but what they drink there, it's not a beer, it's a cider. So yeah. he kind of filled me in and all that stuff. But yeah, I've not I've not been in a pub yet. Because what's it? Because uh, you've got two different words or chants, haven't you? So you've got one for Bristol Rovers and one for Bristol City. Is it drink up your cider at City? I can't remember what it is. One of the um, I'm so yeah. focused in the game, man. So, I hardly yeah. hear the noise. Probably post-match buzz, and you sit in the stands at Ashton Gate, and they start to sing "Drink Up Your Cider," "Drink right. Up Your Cider," and then if you go to the Mem, it's where it be that Blackbird too. So two obviously chart-topping bands and the Wurzels, but right. um, it's funny that, and then it's strange, isn't it? Because I mean, I've grown up around Bristol and sort of been ambiguous between the two teams, and I suppose. We haven't seen a Bristol derby for bloody years. Yeah, I know. That that was my first fall when I signed is I'd like to get them in the cup. But then yeah, it'd be good good for the fans, good for the players, but it's obviously if we've got a kinda one on good form in the league and we're looking to get promoted, then I think well, do you want it? Because we'd be kicking lumps out of each other for ninety minutes and yes. you could potentially but again it would be excitement it would be good for the fans and it'd be good for the players to play in we'll just sit for the seven side derby instead with Cardiff and beat them Cardiff Who yeah we've, we've kind of got them at the moment the lads have been beating them for a good while now and then we've managed to beat them this year but we'll obviously got to go to their place now and they'll be right up for it try to get one back but that's a game we'll look forward to yeah definitely uh, yeah, I was there actually was, um, we, we got stuck when we were sort of late coming in and you go up the Winterstoke Road to go into the ground and um, it was just as the police escort was um, taking the fans up from Temple Mead and mm. it was really intimidating we sat in this car at the traffic lights and it's just like they're like banging the car and I was like god like, it's a game of football guys yeah. it's not aggressive but, uh, no they're passionate they're passionate but passion is yeah 
Uh, football is a funny old sport, isn't it? And um, hey, you'll love it. You've got to admire people's passion in the game and on yeah. the pitch and off the pitch. Um, so yeah, you've given us a hell of a lot of insight into sort of your career, Bristol City, um, and, and and obviously moving from Scotland to England and the reasons why. We'd, yeah, you got to take half. It's, it's it's really really interesting. I think there's some really good stuff there. Moving on to the less serious stuff. So, as part of our podcast, what we tend to do is there's two bits at the end. So we we sort of first of all ask you to do a where is it to impression in your best Bristolian accent, which I'm sure if any of your teammates listen to this will probably be increases that. Do you know who is incredible for this? Chrissy Martin <laughs> at Bristol. Oh, he's the best at a Bristol accent. He does a, a incredible Scottish accent. And he does the best Bristol accent, but yeah. Where's he from? Terrible accents. He's from, I think Chris is from Norwich. Okay. I think he's from Norwich. He's, he's played everywhere. He's had a long career, so he's been all over the place. Mm. Actually played for Scotland, so is it his dad is from Scotland, governor, somewhere like his dad's from. And uh, yeah, but he uh, does the best accents. Yeah. See, Norwich and Norfolk, they're quite Bristolian or West Country. Right. There already. There so go, yeah, he's cheating then. So... If it's right with you, um, we need to get you to do the best where is it to in the best Bristolian accent impression. Right. So I'll do mine first. It's where is it to? Awesome. Where is it to? That's not too bad. That was all right. I just kind of copied you and listened to the sound. <laughs> and then. Well, I mean, I think neither of us are going to be uh, on a talent show. My, my uh, big worry is, is, and then I apologise to all people for Bristol because I love you, but my kids are... I think gonna have the accent, and they? They're four and two now, and uh, oh. yeah, I think they're. The, I think it was very, one of the ugliest accents in the UK. Mm, yeah, um, well, there you go. And it so wasn't me that said it, but yeah, they're four and two. Obviously, he just started school today, so I imagine he's gonna come home six months time with a full blown accent. But me and my missus are from Scotland, so he'll hopefully speak Scottish in the house, and then. Is it Bristolian with his friends? Yeah. yeah, so. Farmer. There we go, the farmer. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've obviously got a lot of a, a very good stuff in Bristol, but the accent is uh, is clearly not one of yeah. them. Yeah. Um, so, finally, then, so the, the last thing what we do in our podcast is kind of try and piece together a puzzle. So, basically, we want to try and find out who Banks is, sell really? it to the press, and make a shit ton of money. Let's go. Cool. Clearly, we're not grasses, so uh, that's not the case of it. It's just for a bit of fun. But what we want to try and do is get an idea as to sort of people who are either from Bristol, work in Bristol, have businesses in Bristol, play football in Bristol, and, and just get an idea as to who you think Banksy is. We've had uh, who have we had? We've had Joe Joyce, uh, so he plays for Bristol Bears. Uh, he's called. Uh, it's a boxer called Joe Joyce that's who I thought of yeah, yeah. so Joe Joyce the Bristol Bears guy is called King of the Mead so I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of going to a place called South Mead in Bristol mm, so don't think so if you have a free day I'll give you a tour of Bristol right. um, so he grew up there so he's called King of the Mead so some people think he's Banksy now I think he's the same age as you or very similar so he'd have to have been really good with a spray can back in yeah. the day uh, we've had Goldie, the DJ, and um, actually also an artist. Um, we've also had a guest on who knows Banksy. Um, we used to paint with him, so he was a graffiti artist, so we couldn't actually say who it was. Hey, really interesting. Yeah. Um, I did have a bit of a, an unearthment after offline, um, which was uh, very insightful. We've had Ian Holloway, so Bristol Rovers ex-manager yeah. and 
general Bristol legend um, who I would love nothing more than to be back yeah that would be incredible um, it would just be right mate I've got my spray can yeah. here and I'm on Sky Sports News um, so if you were to sort of nail your flag to the mask uh, Cal who would you say Banksy is and why so what have we got like what clues have we got he's from Bristol so Banksy like, uh, here, she, I think the, you obviously what? know Banksy is I know Banksy yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know Banksy uh, unless you've been living under a rock yeah. so yeah, it could be a he, it could be a she, it could be a... And they're from Bristol, do we know that? This is what they, they think. They say they're from so Bristol. It is, he is deemed a Bristolian artist. So right. started in Bristol. Um, how they know this, I do not know, but there we go. Um, a lot of his paintwork or artwork is done, centred around Bristol. If you, you know, you've you got to drive five minutes through Bristol, you can kind of see one of his artworks. Yeah. There actually was one here in Clevedon, um, probably about two my missus absolutely loves Banksy and she keeps saying that there's meant to be loads about and we're always looking and we see like little the little paintings on the walls but we're not quite sure if it's him how do you know it's it's Banksy um there's a certain kind of signature today's day and age um he posts it to authenticate it on his Instagram so there was one in Clevedon right it was all about um the youth being able to take care of their elderly parents and right. what they did is he got a road sign and he changed it with the kids carrying the elderly people across the road because I mean for yeah. those that don't know I call Clevedon Costa del Geriatrica because right. it's just quite an old yeah it town. seemed a pretty quiet old um, town when I was driving through it but it got nicked within two days because it was a sign um, if you go Park Street in Bristol um, there's a I can't remember what it's called but there's like a wall with a guy hanging onto the, the ledge of the window yeah. where basically he'd snuck out of his mistress's house or whatever and right. her husband's looking out which has now got blue um, paintball bits sprayed in it because someone drove past and shot over the, the Um but there's loads there's loads throughout Bristol so it, yeah just a quick google there's there's all sorts and um, it is quite interesting there's a there's a festival in Bristol, you just sort of missed it, called Upfest, I don't know if you've heard of it, and basically they shut off most of Bedminster and sort of ran by the city ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like a big um, artwork festival, and there's right. graffiti shows and all sorts, it's, it's, it's awesome. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of who Banksy is. So if you were to sort of think of a Bristolian, or anyone from Try to think of someone from here, yeah, that's potentially a bit Hold on. Struggling, you know. I'm gonna go. Scotty Murray been here long enough. <laughs> I think he's from <laughs> Aberdeen, but he is from Aberdeen. Um, I mean, to be fair, he is basically engraved in the woodwork. He's yeah, he's here. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people would be happy if it was him. So yeah, he's quite short though, isn't he? He's not. He's not a tall guy. He's got ladders, now. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I mean, ladders, guy ropes, and yeah. I think he might be on something. I mean, just I've seen spray, spray paint his fingers when he's been doing the kit at the training ground before. Oh, that's a thing. It could you've be. heard it here first, Scott yeah. Murray's Banksy, and I mean, just imagine he did the collab with Ian Holloway. I mean, obviously Bristol would be up in up in all, but you know, Ian, Ian Holloway and Scott Murray joined together to be Banksy. Um, there we go. I'm going to have to uh, I'm going to try and see if we can get him on the podcast so um, yeah you need to get him on man he'll have some stories he's some guy I'll, I'll, I'll speak to him as well and yeah. try and get him down yeah definitely um, Carl it's been 
our longest podcast to date so actually that's probably testament to the content and, and actually what we've discussed I think it's um, yeah it's been really really good to get your insight into football mm-hmm. not just only the world of football the world, out, world outside of football and and, and just yeah um, your career as a whole which is nowhere near over um, yep. and, and really impressive I think yeah it's been an absolute pleasure so um, thank you very much um, thank and, you I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed listening thank you very much